Welcome to Teacher Soul Talk, the podcast for teachers to get real about what it's like to be a teacher, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Here you will hear a variety of experiences and perspectives, some universal truths and some unique shit. Teachers, you are not alone. You don't need to be alone. You can stand strong in your truth and believe in yourself. Here's a place to listen to how others have. Erica, welcome to episode two on my first uh, episode with a guest. So I started with family. This is my Aunt Becky, who retired last year after 35 years of teaching in elementary. We talked about all types of education stuff, including her journey and some advice at the end. So check it out and let me know what you think. My feeling is, is that um, the narrative that's being created about education and teachers in particular and what teachers should be doing is not sustainable. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and really even just what, what, what is education? What, what does it mean to, what should public education be doing for, for our kids, you know, um, so everything. <laughs> well, right. And we can't do everything. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that the two things that make me crazy, I think one is, you know, my superpower is being, mm-hmm. well, you, you know what? I don't have superpowers. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it, it puts the teachers up on that pedestal and then it's so easy to knock them down. Right. Yeah. And then, then the other part is, is, you know, the, um, oh, you know, the, the memes about the teachers working late and, and stuff like that. And it's like, we don't want to encourage teachers to be working 12 hours a day every day or, or even be sending a message that that's okay because it's right. not. Right. Sets up all these expectations that are not sustainable and not healthy. Yeah, I agree. Totally. And look at the scope and sequence and say, oh, that's our second grade math curriculum. Mm. Mm-hmm. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. And, and because you'll never get through it all or... Well, and because textbook publishers and textbook writers don't necessarily know what always is appropriate or right, sure. or or also, um, you know, the, what are the things that you say, you know what, I'm going to teach this in second grade. I'm guessing most of my kids are going to get this, but not everybody, but I'm, you know, but then I'm going to have to move on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's that. And, and, and I bring it up simply because I think another thing, um, I think that that is unsustainable in education is all the control that's being taken away from teachers, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's administrators and politicians and school boards and parents that are driving way too many decisions. And, and one of the things that I found very frustrating in the last couple of years that I taught was I would sit in meetings when we were talking about picking new series or 
um, you know, how to beef up curriculum in certain areas or how to create continuity. And um, so many of our new teachers were so hesitant to speak to what they believed was right without like going back and um, relying on, well, this is what's in the math series or this is what's in the reading series as opposed to, you know, and granted, I've taught for 35 years. I could give you a basic kindergarten through fifth grade, what should be done in major in the major content areas and all those grade levels. Right. You know, obviously when I was teaching just a couple of years, I didn't know, but, but I had ideas and I had a general idea and, you know, that's, um, that's a part, I think again, and, and this is where our schools are just, just in such a bad place because um, young teachers coming in um, don't, they have a lot of good tools, they have a lot of good skills, but that, that understanding of the wholeness of what education needs to be, um, that seems to be something that's missing. Do you think it's like, do you think the way that teachers are prepared has changed and that's missing? Like, do you feel like you were prepared when you were going through your teacher training and so you had a better scope of that going in or do you think it's just from the experience or where do you think that disconnect comes from um i well i think a couple things no i'll tell you what what really prepared me is i was a substitute teacher for two years before i you know i well for so i taught preschool for two years and then i substitute taught k through eight for two years that experience was was invaluable and and I don't think I would have been as good a teacher if I come right out of college and gone into a classroom because um, it really broadened my view of what education is mm-hmm. and that I, I think one of my foundational beliefs is is that um, it's not important to have all the bells and whistles and all the best technology and all this and that. In fact, Mary Grace and Lucy at Williams Bay did not always have that, but what they really had was an educational community. And they had um, a lot of continuity and consistency between the grade levels. And that is so much more important than you know, do we have the cutting edge technology or the best textbooks or that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think I think school choice and voucher programs are a big reason why this has happened. Hmm. Um, I think teachers getting trained and coming out of college now. Um, one thing that, that I, I think is, is, um, I guess impressive about them is that I think a lot of them are more confident than certainly I was. And, and, um, so, so that's a good thing, but, but I think, um, there, you know, when I first started teaching, 
I spent hours creating lesson plans. I, you know, we got teacher's mailbox at our school and I was low man. I'm on the totem pole. So sometimes I had to stay at school till five o'clock so I could get my hands on that teacher's mailbox so that when I was planning social studies or reading and I wanted to do some extra stuff, I could, I could look through the teacher's mailbox magazine and figure out. Otherwise, I just had to use what was in my head, you know, and what was in that in the, you know, the teacher's manuals and kind of, you know, what was going on with those kids and go, okay, I think this is going to work. We're going to go for it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and again, I think that was, you know, along with the substitute teaching was hugely important in, in becoming the kind of teacher I am. I was up until I retired and, um, And it was fun, you know, it was hard work. And there were, I mean, there were weeks when I was getting ready to lesson plan, you know, like on Friday or Thursday and I'd be like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do these five days? How am I going to fill this up? And I'd be so freaked out, but you know, I figured it out. Yeah. And, and, um, I think, you know, you got, you got Pinterest and teachers pay teachers and, and, you know, just, myriad websites and resources. And I I found myself saying this often, and I'm sure there are lots of eyes rolled when this came out of my mouth, (laughs) is that um, teacher pay teacher isn't a curriculum. Yeah. And I would, it's probably like far the opposite direction now where it's overwhelming how many resources they are. Like I would find that I could spend so much waste so much time like looking for the thing that I knew that I wanted I had a picture of it in my head and I would search and search and it's just like what is this time I'm wasting like I might as well just make it myself but I never I never wanted to it's like I'm sure it's out there I'll just keep looking right right and I um You know, teacher pay teacher, and I will not knock it, you know, because especially when I needed substitute lesson plans, Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, yeah, they can't do what we're doing in math. So I need like some fun review things that the kids can do for the next two days. And, you know, yeah, I wasn't going to go create that. No way. Yeah. (laughs) So I go to teacher pay teacher and go, okay, you know, let's, let's, oh, this is perfect. This will be fun. They'll love it. And, you know, and download it. So, you know, that's, it's great for those kinds of things. It's great for, you know, if you're going to do something special with your class, um, sometimes doing like, like science activities or um, I also liked doing it because um, we were still doing um, class parties. And, and in fifth grade, you know, second grade class parties, fifth grade class parties, you have to handle in a completely different way. And um, less and less parents were really willing to come in. Um, and I learned that I really actually enjoyed doing it. So I would, you know, I'd go on and I'd look for some STEM stuff and, and you know, then I'd kind of modify it. And, and that's what we would do for our parties. And, you know, the kids really enjoyed it. So that was, you know, the, all of those things certainly have their place, you know. Um, like we had door decoration contests sometimes at school. And, you know, I was right on Pinterest for those. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I, you know, I was, I was not about to spend hours and hours, you know, so those things do have their place, but, um, you also have to be very careful with, sure. with those things as well. Well, even like you said, with textbooks and stuff, like, I think maybe the first year going through teaching something, you're going to be following a textbook kind of closely but like the more you teach it and you see what works and what doesn't the more you kind of change it up and supplement it and that's part of part of the job is recognizing like what's working what do I need to change here what can I what kind of supplements do I need to create or find or so yeah that's well and and it's going to be different every year too Mm -hmm. you know um yeah (laughs) There are years like, yeah, this, you know, I pull out this activity and I go, oh yeah, this was so fun with the, you know, and, and I would start it with this, you know, that particular class and I'd be like, yeah, this, this is, yeah, no, <laughs> they're, they're just not into this, not, yeah. not the way, you know, um, but it, you know, I think between voucher programs, school choice, and then school publishers, you know, mm-hmm. like, in the early 2000s, I loved Heinemann. Gosh, if, when I got that Heinemann catalog, it was it was like when I was a kid and I got the Sears Christmas wish book. I mean, <laughs> I would be going through that thing and like, oh, I want this Lucy Calkins and I want this from this person and this from that. And, you know, I would just be like so excited. And now Heinemann is terrible. Hmm. Um, they, the, uh, I shouldn't say that they're, they're materials. Some of their materials are still, are still pretty good, but, um, they've, they've jumped on this kind of bandwagon of overloading their curriculums. And I, and I guess, um, I, I, so an example um, is Lucy Calkins. And, and Lucy Calkins has been around since early mid-80s. Mm-hmm. And she had a very holistic way of, of teaching um, writing. And um, so she had created these things called units of study. And, and they were just really um, very thoughtful ways of te- teaching children how to write. And, and really encouraging that, you know, when kids are writing, they are, they're doing it purposefully and thoughtfully, not just like, oh, you know, let's do this cute little sentence starter kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, was stuff that was meaningful to them and, and made sense. Well, um, you know, Heinemann has now taken that in the last couple of years and it, it it's become a monster. And, and quite honestly, Lucy Calkins has become a monster. I mean, she, she literally, these books are like scripts for how you're supposed to teach everything. And, it, and it's absolute insanity. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, and then, and then of course what happens is that people go online and they're like, okay, so how's everyone dealing with this craziness that's Lucy Calkins? And, you know, they go on these teacher forums and they go on Pinterest and teach pay teacher and all different kinds of things. And 
Then they're creating checklists and logs, which is another thing I have an issue with because if you're spending your whole time working with kids, checking off skills and, and everything, you're not teaching. <laughs> yeah. Because because you're no longer in the moment. You're mm-hmm. you, you know, you're you're busy going, oh, she doesn't do know how to do that. He doesn't know. Um, you know, differentiation is another thing. I mean. And and again, this this was, I'm sure people rolled eyes in meetings when I would say this because I'd be like, you know, oh, well, how are you differentiating? Oh, well, you know, I did this checklist. And so now we're going to deep dive into these skills and, you know, so on. And it would be like, um, well, yeah, I was walking around and I saw those four kids weren't really getting it. And those kids over there were. So I told them they could go these, do these activities. And I pulled these four kids over with me and we sat and we worked today. That was my differentiation. Well, did you document it? Well, no, because I was teaching them. And then I was done teaching them. So I needed to move on to other things. Well, yeah, but you didn't document it. So therefore, it wasn't differentiation. I mean, it was oh. just. <laughs> my it's not on paper. It didn't happen. Yeah. And, and um, you know, again, how, how much can teachers do? Do you, do you want me to teach or do you want me to document? I, I can't do both. I'm not going to do both. I don't want to do both. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. And I had been teaching long enough and I was stubborn enough that <laughs> I didn't, which obviously newer, younger teachers aren't, aren't going to do that. <laughs> Just yeah. have your teachers like me. <laughs> It's a tricky thing because I definitely feel like there was stuff that I chose not to do that I was, you know, supposed to do. And I mean, I did get fired from (laughs) my first job. So maybe that's why. I don't know. But it's it's a hard line to balance of what you're going to do that you know that isn't aligned with what you want to do and what's best for your students versus just to keep your job versus what are you, what risks are you willing to take to, to do what's right? Well, right. And then, you know, we all have different personalities, you know, as to, um, you know, like, you know, there are people that are just, you know, they're going to follow the rules and then there's, you know, where I'm going. No, I'm I'm just not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> I'll apologize later, but I'm just not going to. And and as I said, you know, the longer I taught, the more I was I was, you know, just kind of, you know, like, well, no, I, I, I'm not, you know. Um, and and like I said, partly that's my personality. Partly was because I'd worked, you know, for so long in the same district. And also in a lot of ways, I was very lucky because I worked in a small independent school district. It was a K, well, now it's a 4K through 8 school um, with a school board, a principal, and an administration all rolled into one. So, um, you know, that makes it... Um, it made it much easier to, to kind of buck the system, you know, or, or say, Hey, you know, we're really not going to do this kind of thing. Um, you know, that's obviously harder to do in a big school district. Yeah. I think it depends. I mean, I felt like 
my admin were never in my classroom. So I felt like I could kind of do whatever. Um, and like, it was so big that I was so removed from the people in charge. I don't know who they are, so I don't really care what they think, but Again, you're right. It comes back to personality and what you're comfortable with. Well, and I think, you know, but then then there comes back to that other thing, because I believe, again, you could have consistency and continuity makes up for all, all kinds of... Um, I'm losing the word here. Um, may, makes up for things that that you may not have in your school system, mm-hmm. um, you know. And and I and again, you know, I remember. So so between second and third grade is a jump. So the kind of the way primary works and elementary school works is you have kindergarten and first grade where the kids are learning just skills and skills and skills and skills and skills. And then you get into second grade and second grade, we really don't teach a whole lot of new skills, but we're teaching them how to use all the skills they've been taught in kindergarten and first grade. So we're really looking at those higher level thinking skills. You know, how do they internalize it? How are they, they using, how do they use addition to help, them learn how to do place value and, you know, harder number skills and all those kinds of things. Um, And then the same kind of loop happens third and fourth grade, then third grade, you know, it's a, it's another big jump where they're learning a lot of new skills, fourth grade, learning a lot of new skills. Fifth grade, once again, is where you're not teaching a lot of new skills. You're once again, going into, you know, what are, you know, those higher level thinking skills and taking all of this and how do I put it together to figure out things I don't know, to to do harder math problems or to understand something I'm reading that that's harder. And really, you know, my view is that once you, you get to the end of elementary, fifth grade, from there on out, there's not a whole bunch of new skills that kids get taught. It, it's it's thinking. How mm-hmm. do I take all the stuff I've learned and use it to solve problems and and work on harder material and think at higher levels? Kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think you know that's um, I, I I you know so that's where the consistency and continuity come in. So, you know, if in um, kindergarten or first grade, the language they're using around math is different than the language I'm using around math in second grade, the high-level kids will be just fine. They'll make that jump. They probably won't even think about it. The middle kids for a couple of days might kind of go like, okay, I'm not really sure, but I think I know what she's doing and your low kids, they're going to be frustrated and upset because they're going to be like, I have to learn all this all over again. I don't know what she's talking about. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And and they may very well get it, but I'm using different language. And, and 
they cannot figure out that it's different language. Yeah. And, and therefore they're just, so that's where that cons- consistency and continuity come in. And it kind of links back to that piece about understanding what curriculum is, as opposed to what a series is, as opposed to, you know, supplementing maybe using teacher pay teacher or Pinterest is that you always have to understand in your head where these kids came from, where you're sending them to, and what's the language being used around the skills that are being taught. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting because that's definitely something I noticed. I mean, at the high school level, it's different because freshman year, you have no idea where the kids are coming from, what language was used, like, because there's no connections between middle schools and high schools, or very few anyway at least in, in my school system. And so you, you just have to like try to <laughs> get them all to understand what you're talking about when they come in as freshmen. But even, even like the continuity throughout high school is not there in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I think it's interesting. I know you switched grades a few times and mm-hmm. I know my mom did too. And I was all over the place in high school and I, I found it super helpful because yes, I always knew, um, well, first of all, in the some situations where I moved up with the kids, I knew exactly what they had learned because I had right. taught it to them. So then <laughs> it's like, well, you can't get out of that. Maybe you didn't understand it. You didn't learn it, but I definitely taught it to you. And I used this exact language. Um, but I, I've also seen a lot of teachers just like stay in the same grade level, teaching the same content for years. And I don't understand it because I get bored. But um, yeah. <laughs> but I also like I feel like there's so much value in understanding the full scope and not just understanding like, yeah, you can read the standards. You can look at the curriculum and like understand it, but you don't understand it until you actually teach it and see like at my last school, I taught the freshman curriculum for three years and then I moved to sophomore and then junior. And so for that particular um, curriculum that we were using, a lot of people were critical of it because they didn't understand the way that it was working because they were only working one part of it. And once I worked through the whole thing, I was like, Oh, this is actually really smart and makes a ton of sense. And I've never taught math this way or thought about it this way. But like, now I understand why they made these choices or why they did this because it builds, you know, the, in the next year. And because nobody else was doing that, I got a lot of pushback when I tried to say like, actually, you know, this, this is the way that this was meant to build. And it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be really helpful for the students to understand it this way. But people, because they had been teaching that same thing for so long, were like, well, no, we're going to keep doing it this way, because this is what is comfortable to us. And then you also throw in the the SAT and the ACT and like, well, we have to go based off of these tests and who cares about what actually makes sense. Right. (laughs) It's so frustrating. It is so frustrating. And, and that was, you know, 
Um, I was actually talking to a friend of mine, and so she had taught at a different school in the area, and some friends of hers had emailed and said, hey, we got an opening, you should come. And and so I totally remember where she was at, and she's like, I I don't have it in me to go to a new school and, and have to, you know, relearn all that, um, you know, kind of thing. And, and I think that, you know, she's a person that, she she's taught junior high. She's taught third grade. You know, she has this really great view of what's important and what's not important, you know, and like, OK, these are the things we really do need to focus on because she's had this wide range of ability. And and I just and and one of the reasons she was thinking about going to a different school was that she works with two when she was teaching third grade she was working with two third grade teachers that were like total tunnel vision mm-hmm. they'd only ever taught third grade they were just you know third grade was the most important thing in the world in teaching that third grade and you know she'd be like well you really don't have to do this or we really shouldn't be doing it this way or you know and and they would not listen to her So, so when the sixth grade opening came, she's like, I think I'm going to move up to sixth grade, (laughs) move back. But I I think, you know, um, we do not, you know, again, because there's so, so many people who are not educators and don't understand what education really is that are driving education or educational decisions these days, people you know, um, it, it makes teachers less and less inclined to take chances. And so then you run into the problems you were talking about right now, you know, that, you know, well, you know, if this teacher's known that, known for, well, my juniors come out and get great SAT scores, she's not going to change how she teaches. Nope. Or he, you know, that they, they're, they're just not going to. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and I think, you know, when, when you're talking about kids that come from disadvantaged backgrounds, that come from poverty, that come from, you know, um, homes where there's a lot of trauma. And I mean, those are the kids that really have to have consistency and continuity. Because it is the only way they're really going to learn, you know, and, and we, you know, there's all this discussion about, oh, you know, taking care of the, the trauma, our kids through trauma and, and, you know, being, I forget, I forget, I'm not good with jargon and catchphrases, but, you know, there's like the last couple of years I taught, we would be doing all this stuff around centered around kids with trauma and how you teach them and, and, and and I was I would sit and I'd be like, but I've always done that. Yeah. <laughs> what and and you know then we'd sit in meetings and again you know I would sometimes be like, but you guys we're already doing this. It's they're just calling this stuff different names, but we're already doing it. You know. Yeah. Some people and, are. <laughs> Some people definitely need it. I think. I think some people do, but again, you know, I would get very frustrated sometimes with people would be like, well, why are you doing this? And 
Well, they, they worry. I, I can't afford to lose my job. And they're looking at our test scores. And you can't. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, that, that's hard. That's hard. And I, and I think, um, you know, teachers do need to, I, I think one thing that has become lost, and I think one thing that would really help education and, and back to what you're trying to do is that teachers um, need to learn to work together as a group and support each other and trust each other because that's the only way they can drive change. And really the kind of change we need in education has to come from teachers. Yeah. It, it's, it, you know, there may be some administrators that will, will also um, help, help to create that change, but, you know, basically, and basically what that change has to be is that we have to take education back from the parents and the politicians and, and say, you know, we're the experts. We know what we're doing. Let us do our job. Please go away. And yeah. also from even these, you know, public publishing powerhouses that are just like, you know, oh, Testing you, and yeah, and you get our curriculum and you can save the world, <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, kind of thing. Um, because they, it, it is the only the one thing then that we can do, you know, I can't pull a kid out of poverty. You cannot pull a kid out of poverty. No teacher can. Right. But as, what a school can do is they can create a safe place five days a week, nine months a year for children to come and learn and, and hopefully be able to use somewhere there will be enough connection to create the resiliency they need to, to maybe get themselves out of a cycle of poverty or violence or um, addiction that that's, you know, in their family. That's really all schools can do to help kids. And that's, I shouldn't say all, because I think it's huge and I think it, it can do a lot. But yeah. If and, connection and relationship and that kind of thing were more of a focus than standardized tests and all of the other. Right. And I think teachers truly do understand. I think any good educator truly understands that, whether you're a teacher or an administrator. If you are a good educator, you know in your head, you know in your heart, you know in your soul that's the most important part. Yeah. And, you know, and I guess that's the other thing. So I, I remember, and I don't remember, I think your mom and I were taking a class together or something. And we were talking about, you know, what being an educator really means. And I, I don't remember the context anymore, but I, I said at the time, education is an art and a labor of love. And your mom said, yes, equal emphasis on both those things. And that truly is what it is, that, that it, it's both those things. And um, I also would add to that, that it is the biggest pay it forward job you will ever 
ever have. And, you know, again, back to some myths that get perpetuated on social media is, you know, I'm going to be the teacher that all the kids remember. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you walk in with that in your head, with that in your mind, you're not going to teach well because it becomes about you. And, and, and teaching is, first and foremost, never, ever, ever about you. It's about those kids. It's always about the kids. I know that my worst mistakes in teaching have always been when I have forgotten that and I've made it about me instead of about my students. And, and, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot out there that is kind of nudges teachers into that other direction. Again, making it important to have groups where where teachers can really talk to each other and pull back from that kind of pressure and and really get to to what what teaching and education really is. Yeah, whether it's like the savior mentality or trying to be friends with kids or but that's like, that's one of the only ways teachers are portrayed in the media, like in movies, you know, with freedom writers or dangerous minds of like, this teacher is going to come in and save everyone. It's like, no, you're not. That's not your job. Well, or like stand and deliver. Those are, that's another one that I, that I think about. And, and, you know, it, it it's wonderful, you know. And there are times, there are times and places where there is, there's just this connection and, and yeah, amazing things can happen, but those teachers before and after whatever happened that, you know, gets put into these films worked really hard and probably had varying levels of success, you know, it, it's, you know, and, and, but yeah, teachers are either portrayed as these heroes and wonderful people, or they're portrayed as, as kind of idiots, you know, yep. uh, you know, and then of course there's kindergarten cop, <laughs> 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 you know, in some of those movies, what was the, was it a, school rock, yeah, school of rock, <laughs> you know, and some of those and, and, you know, uh, what was one that I was, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just like, oh my gosh, even like the Santa Claus, which is a movie I really liked. We, you know, watched Gracie, I think was through when we first saw it and it, and it was just so cute, but that the teacher in that movie to this day, I kind of walk out of the room when we watched that part of the movie because she has this really, and of course I have a very high voice too, but <laughs> it's just kind of like, really, they, they just, yeah. It's like, please don't, please don't create, make teachers be that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or like bad teachers where it's like drinking and just like, you don't have to do, try anything, just show up. and mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what made you want to be a teacher? I'm curious. I don't think I've heard your origin story. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, um, uh, differently than the other 
other uh, than my siblings, um, <laughs> I didn't want to go to college. Um, grandma, <laughs> I remember like, you know, September, my senior year, grandma saying something about, you know, uh, and of course back then, you know, that was when you applied to schools. You know, you may be, some people, I mean, Amy knew where she wanted to go and what she wanted to do very early on. Um, your your mom was was just, you know, she was ready to be out. And I think she had also made a decision. Um, although, you know, interestingly, you know, she, is, she has said to me more than, in more than one conversation, you know, if I had known there was more out there I could do, I don't know if that's what I would have done, mm -hmm. um, which I always think is really interesting. So so for me, um, when grandma said, well, where do you want to go to college? Or you thought about where you want to go to college or what you want to do, I kind of looked at her and said, I, I mean, I entered my senior high school and all I could think of is I do not want to be in school anymore. I am so done. I hate school. <laughs> and... Um, I don't, I didn't use quite those words and grandma was, you know, just like totally appalled and, you know, what are you just going to be a waitress the rest of your life? And in my mind, I really, I mean, my plan was I wanted to waitress. I wanted to find someone to get an apartment with and maybe take some classes at Harper college and kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And, um, but that was, that was not, that was not an option for me. So about a month later, she sat down with three college applications and said, here you go. Here's your three college applications. You will fill these out. You know, kind of basically, um, you're going to sit at the table until you're done. <laughs> yeah. So um, there was one for Eastern, one for a small uh, Christian liberal arts college called Blackburn College, and one for ISU. So I filled the three out. Um, I went down and visited ISU and hung out with your mom. And, um, you know, it seemed like a good place to go. And, you know, it was, she would be there at least a little bit. And, you know, it wasn't too far from home. So it was kind of the path of least resistance. <laughs> and so I got to, to school and, um, I don't know that I was a declared major. And of course, back then it wasn't as, it wasn't too big of a deal to do that. Um, but I think in the back of my head and, and it was kind of suggested, well, maybe you should look at education. And um, I did look at a couple different things and I talked to counselor about a couple other doing, doing a couple other things. And um, you know, then Jason was born <laughs> and um, I also did some babysitting and I did some other things with kids and I just really realized how much I loved being with kids and not just love like, wow, they're super cute and they're so fun and isn't it funny when they do this? They're just, it was so comfortable to me to be with children um, much more comfortable than being with people my own old age, my own age or adults. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't have to think real hard about how I interacted with them or even how I could, you know, work with them and like, let's do this or let's do that. It's 
so much of it just just was was there in me um you know and I didn't have to think too hard about it um so and the other thing was was that when I got into my education classes particularly math um and again very different from my siblings um School is much harder for me. Um, Grandma and Grandpa did a really good job of um, understanding that I learned different from everyone else in our family. And, and, you know, and they will both say, well, you were all different and we are all different. But school was certainly more difficult for me. Math was... I would not have got graduated from high school or even gotten through my freshman year in college without grandma. I mean, she was every step of the way, especially when we got to like bases and, you know, stuff in algebra and stuff. I mean, I, she would, she would just help me all the time. I mean, really from the time we started regrouping math in, in third grade, um, I, math was a struggle for me. I could memorize all the rules. I had no clue why I was doing it. You know, mm-hmm. luckily for me, I had a good working memory. So I could, you know, I, I could memorize things, but I, I, I still remember like in third and fourth grade, still not understanding, well, why did I regroup for that? But not for that. I mean, I just, and that came all the way through with me. And I had a math, um, a math methods class with a woman, uh, Dr. Carol A. Thornton, phenomenal math educator, phenomenal. And for the first time in my life, I understood math. Wow. Yeah, I was 20 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I was 20 years old and all of a sudden I went, I get it. (laughs) I get why I'm supposed to. I get why these rules are here. I understand greater than and less than. I understand what that equal sign really means. I finally understood it. And I I think that that was what really turned me on to education was when I realized like, oh, wow, if you teach things a certain way, it doesn't all have to be this horrible struggle. You know, because, you know, really for me, um, you know, I was I was a phenomenal reader and writer and that stuff came very easily for me. So but but math was so hard for me. It really kind of made all the rest of school not fun Mm. because I mean, I would literally go through the day and be like math's coming. I remember in second grade, those time tests just made me like. I, I had a stomach ache all day when we had time tests. Oh man. It was, it was, it was very, very difficult for me. And, and not that I didn't know my facts. Like I said, I had good working memory, but if you want me to do it fast, that no, no way. <laughs> so I, you know, that, so for me, that was, those were the two things that really just made me like, want want to become a teacher because you know I thought back to like um sixth grade especially so back then when you went from from elementary school to to junior high in fifth grade you took a bunch of tests and of course I did terribly on the math tests Mm 
And so I got placed in a um, special help math class. And I had, I still remember her name, Mrs. Petersdorf. She was a fantastic math teacher. Well, once I started understanding the math, I did really, really well. I didn't know this till years later. Um, second semester that year, they put me in a regular math class with like the worst math teacher in the whole school. Oh. Yeah. And I did not know it at the time, but they had, and of course this was, this was South, which is where grandma taught. It was the year before they hired her back. So she knew everybody. She had been subbing there. She knew all the teachers. She knew where they were going to place me. And she, she told me later on, she begged them to not pull me. And um, they're like, no, her grades are too high. This is what our cutoff is. Oh, geez. And, and so they moved me. And, and I can't, I, I, I don't know that, that it, it certainly didn't help anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know how, how much, how far that would have taken me, but, but, um, you know, I, the math class I was put in was, um, the teacher's name was Mr. Adbert and he was scary and he was just, you know, he would explain things and then he'd give you assignment and then he'd sit down at his desk and you were supposed to sit quietly and do our math. And mm-hmm. so I was back to going home with math and then mom finally saying, do you have math homework? And me being like, yeah. And, you know, struggling through it kind of stuff. So that shows you though, what a difference a teacher makes. <laughs> Huge. And, and I guess again, you know, um, how we look at helping kids and working with kids, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a real fine balance there. You know, there are kids. I was a kid that, well, and I say this to people all the time and, and I've always been this way. I'm a slow processor. I, you know, math time tests were hard for me. Not that I didn't know my facts, but to just, that's just not how my brain worked, you know? Um, and I have to, and as I get older, I have to go slower, but um, I, I have to take time and think things through. And um, I, not, I would never say that I was learning disabled or, you know, that I needed to be in special programs. But certainly there were certain teachers that did a much better job dealing with that than other teachers did. Um, my third grade teacher, Mrs. Kraft, who is a person that actually I model a lot of what I did off of her. Um, I loved third grade to this day, you know, people, you know, as teachers, you know, you get like, they ask you those questions, you know, which grade, which teacher, you know, Mrs. Kraft, hands down. And she had a reputation for being the meanest teacher in the school. Her nickname was the Kraft Bomb. And I walked in the first day of school thinking, oh, my gosh, this is going to be terrible. And I loved third grade because she was consistent. I knew exactly what I was supposed to do at all times and how I was supposed to do it. 
and there was not ever any surprises. And, and there weren't also though, a lot of extra bells and whistles, you know, it was, it was just, we, we did our thing and, um, you know, and, and if you were, you know, if you did a good job, she let you know, and it, and it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't a big deal. It was just like, you know, you would get a hundred with a star or, you know, you would get chosen to run a special errand because you were a good listener or you followed directions or you did, you know, you read really well. And, you know, so, so you would get, you would get chosen to do things. Um, but yeah, she, she was a teacher that made me feel smart and made me, um, love school and, um, yeah, she was, and, and you know what, she wasn't, she wasn't fancy dancy with what she did or how she did it. Yeah. But, you know, she was just there every day prepared to teach and ready to teach and in there with her kids. And, you know, like I said, you just knew, you, you knew these are the rules. This is how you are expected to behave. And if you follow the rules, they're great. And if you don't follow the rules, well, there will be a consequence. And, and you know, if you're really doing a good job, I'm going to let you know, because I'm going to tell you. Yeah. But she didn't ever make you feel bad about yourself. You know, I mean, I'm sure I wasn't perfect that whole year, but she never made you feel bad about it either. That's really important. Yes, very important. And, you know, and again, it goes back to, you know, Pinterest and teacher pay teacher and all this online stuff where teachers get caught up in this, you know, oh, you know, that these teachers are doing all this cutesy little stuff and all this, you know. Yeah, not necessary. I mean, do it if you want to and you have the energy for it, but. I did not do. <laughs> you know, when I when I took my master's degree, um, and we were doing, we were talking about classroom. Uh, it was about classroom management, time management, things like that. And um, one of the things, and I just, I just loved this, but um, they're like teachers spend way too much time on classroom decoration and making it look cute. And, and, um, you know, you want it to look neat, you want it to feel nice and comfortable. Um, but that, and that's when I gave myself permission to stop, like, going over the top decorating my room. My mom because that was kind of her. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, Grace and Lucy helped me as they got older. And, and, you know, that was great. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, that was something I always kind of innately understood, like, you know, if you've got stuff all over your classroom, that can be very distracting. And, you know, um, my favorite, because I was teaching elementary school, one of my, I, I started out with my classroom pretty bare. And then as we would go through the school year, um, and we do different projects and go through different units, I would just keep bits and pieces of stuff we did and put them up around the classroom. And, you know, it, and it was so fun because the kids, you know, if we had free time or if, you know, we had visitors, you know, they could walk around and be like, oh yeah, that's when we did this in September. That's when we did this then. This is, 
you know, and that, that learning, what we were doing was all around them and it was meaningful to them. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely recommend that. I did. I moved to more of that. I mean, I never super decorated my room, but I did almost nothing (laughs) the last couple of years. Well, and I think, you know, especially with older kids, um, they, they don't really need, need, I don't, I don't think they really need a lot of that. My friend Liz and I were talking, you know, she's the one that moved from third to sixth grade and, you know, um, she's like, one of the reasons I'm really glad to go to sixth grade is she goes, you know, I don't have to do like treat bags at the beginning of the school year and, you know, create manipulatives, you know, for everybody, you know, when we're doing math and, you know, all those kinds of things, you know, mm-hmm. sixth graders, she's like, you know, getting through ready for the school year with sixth graders, I have to put their names on lockers, you know, <laughs> you know, get, get my rules, my, you know, my basic rules up in the front of the room and, you know, maybe create a couple seating charts and that's it, you know? Um, and, and, you know, because, and even with my fifth graders, um, a, a lot of times I would have girls more so than boys, but, you know, that were just, would, would want to like, oh, can we decorate the classroom? Can we, you know, I'd be like, yeah, fine. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Yeah. There's the drawer. There's the things. Here's the tape. This is what you can do. Go for it, guys. Have fun. Yep. You know, and then they felt really good about it. Yeah. I mean, and it's their space so, too. So you want them to, you want it to fit what they want. So let them do it. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. Hmm. Well, do you have any any final parting advice for any new teachers or any teachers that would listen to this? Um, probably one of the best things I ever heard about teaching that I and I, and I've said it to many many teachers since I've heard it first heard it is that um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, so you got to pace yourself. You know, you 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 are never. You are never going to get everything done that you want to get done in the way you want to get done. And, and so you just have to pace yourself. I think yeah. that's, that's, that's the first thing. And I think the other part is that uh, it, it doesn't happen in a, in a, in isolation. Mm-hmm. You have to work with teachers and administrators and parents and, and even your students, you know, it's, it's, you're part of the team always. Yeah. So I guess this, <laughs> that, that would be my two most important pieces of advice. Yeah, I like it. I agree. So. <laughs> hey again, this is Erica. Thank you for listening. I hope that conversation was helpful to you in some ways. As a quick reminder, you can find me at lovemorty.com. You can sign up for the newsletter there if you want to make sure you don't miss anything. I'm on Instagram at love.morty. And this episode and this podcast is produced by me, Erica Horsley. And we'll be back 
soon for another episode. If you have a chance to rate and review, if you like what you hear, I would so, so, so appreciate it. And I'll talk to you next time. Bye.